Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I am the Youth Director here at SFBC. This week, Joel Koretko speaks about the commandment to honor thy father and mother in the next part of our Law for Life Sermon Series. If you would like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Okay, so before we get into things today, we need to address something I heard about. Uh, it's, it's pretty serious. If you're new here, this might come as a shock. It's, uh, it's a pretty big deal. So I got wind of activity, the activity of a particular couple. This couple, unfortunately, uh, has committed a grievous, a grievous sin. Like, it's not something we know how to deal with. Uh, in fact, we're considering barring them from membership just because of it. Okay, so you need to know what they did. You see, the horrible and heinous act they did was they eloped. That's right. They got married without, like, a wedding, and it was quick. And they did, you know, they just got married without that. Oh, yes, you heard me. That's what they did. They eloped. Now, some of you are wondering if maybe I didn't drink my coffee this morning, or if maybe we need to reconsider the church bylaws, but uh, last we all checked, eloping is not a sin. In fact, most of us, we wouldn't bat an eye at it. But what if I told you that the scenario I just pretended was real is real? There's actually a church that considered barring membership for eloping. And guess what? They were considering barring this couple's membership a full 10 years after they had eloped. So you might be asking yourself, where on earth in the Bible do they say, does it say that you can't elope? Let's open up the floor. Somebody, anyone, best guess. It's not a trick question, but it is a hard one, a very hard one. Anyone. Guess what? You're online, so <laughs> there's not, there's not going to be uh, a direct response, but if you want, you could type it in uh, an email and send it to us if you've got an answer. But the answer to the question is the verse we're looking at today, Exodus 20.12. Honor your father and your mother so that your days can be long on the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. I mean, you see the obvious connection between this verse and eloping, right? It's so crystal clear. Well, if you live in certain parts of Indonesia, it might be clear. Check, check out this book. This is an interesting read about how our culture influences how we read the Bible. It's where I'm getting this example from. The author points out that while he was a missionary in Indonesia, a couple had to flee from their church and take sanctuary elsewhere because they eloped. It was possible they were going to be barred from membership 10 years later because of eloping. It was a dangerous sin to these churches because marriage was one of the biggest decisions in a person's life. And to not intricately involve your parents in that decision was considered to be a violation of the commandment. Honor your father and mother. Their culture places a different value on the interaction between adult children and parents. Our culture doesn't. So why do I bring up this story? I think it's really help for us, helpful for us to engage um, in the, uh, with this in mind as we work on this troublesome law. This story points out that honoring your father and mother doesn't look the same from one culture to another. And there's a huge degree of flexibility as we approach this command. This is one of those commands that it takes wisdom to apply. 
This is going to be more apparent as we move along. And I mean, I don't need to point out the elephant in the room, do I? I know for a fact that the second I said, honor your father and mother, some of you had hair stand up on the back of your neck. Some of you might have felt a bit uneasy. You might have said to yourself, but Joel, you don't know what my parents have done. You don't know our relationship. This commandment scares me, and I can't follow it. For anyone who has a response like this, you need to know that I hear you, we hear you. I know that our parents can be a very difficult subject to talk about, especially when it comes to honoring them. We're going we're to come back to this later. So first, I think it's essential that we take a look at what it means to honor your parents in the biblical context. I think you're going to find that in its application, it's a lot more Indonesia and a lot less Canada, eh? So Exodus 20.12. We are in this beautiful section of ten words from God to his people. That's what, that's what the Hebrew says. It's for the Ten Commandments, it's the ten words. Up until this point in the Bible, God has given ten words out twice before this. Does anyone know where? Where is the most recent ten things in the book of Exodus? Online world, what do you think? Ten plagues, right? Yes. The plagues. And I found this picture. This is just the first Google image search for the ten plagues. And the amount of historical inaccuracies, Just I just started laughing out loud. You've got 15th century German uh, fields and cathedrals and buildings. Moses and I guess God and the clouds are both white guys. And I think this is from Germany. And uh, yeah, it's like nothing like Egypt, nothing like the ancient world. So I just thought, I thought that was kind of funny. And the robes, just, yeah, it's, uh, it's something. So there's these 10 plagues. But, but, where, uh, but where does God speak 10 times before that? So we have another one, another 10. Where's, where's that? Anyone? Guess what? It's tough because it is the creation account at the beginning of Genesis. God speaks 10 words of creation. He creates the waters, the land, and the heavens. And guess what? When he brings the plagues to Egypt, he starts with destroying the waters, then the land, then the heavens. The waters turn to blood. There's frogs and gnats. That's all water stuff. Then there's flies, livestock problems, and boils. That's all land stuff in their mind. And then there's hail, locusts, and darkness. That's sky stuff. In a sense, God decreates Egypt for refusing to acknowledge him. He reverses what he says in, in Genesis. And now we have Israel going up to the mountain and God is giving another ten words. Ten commandments. And these are supposed to be what gives them life. What keeps creation running smoothly. What keeps them from being under the plagues themselves and reversing back into a less than intended creation. This is just a super cool pattern that you can see in the Bible. Here we are. In the Ten Commandments, and this is a pivot point in the Ten Commandments. Now, I know that we haven't been going exactly in, or, in the order found in the text. Um, you can blame whoever came up with the concept of summer schedules for that. I'm pretty sure that the seven-day week comes from the ancient Sumerians, so I don't know. They, they, can, take, they can take the flack for that and Tuesday mornings. But Exodus 20.12, back to the text, it's a pivot point between the commandments that deal with our relationship 
with God, that is, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are the first 11 verses. Now the commandments go from the vertical God to the horizontal people here in verse 12. Now we are dealing with loving your neighbor as yourself, the golden rule. And who is your neighbor? Well, the closest person to most of us for the beginning of our lives is who? Our parents. So what is the commandment exactly saying? Honor. That's a loaded term. Does it mean obey? Does it mean always obey? Does it mean treat with respect? Does it mean 50% of the time they ask me to do or think something that I will agree or listen? Does it mean don't shoot BB guns at the bathroom wall when I'm a teenager? Like, how does this work? I did do that, by the way. Well, first off, just let me clear the air because the text doesn't say obey. It says honor. The two are not the same. Even though honoring a parent could mean obeying them. But it's helpful to consider the Hebrew term used here. The root word is kavad. And it's something you come across all the time. Like a rock can be kavad. A kavad rock is a heavy rock. The word means heavy. God can be kavad too. God's kavod is something that you know very well. God's kavod is his glory. So when you see the Bible talk about God's glory, it's a metaphorical use of the concept heavy. The greater something is, the more weight it has. We use the same terminology in English. We say, that's heavy, man. Or, there's a lot of weight behind that. So when you talk like that, you're talking like a Hebrew. Good job. The Hebrew verb here in Exodus 20.12 is kabbed, and it means to make something heavy or weighty. So God is commanding that parents be treated with weight, or the reverse way of saying it, don't take your parents lightly. Parents are a big deal in God's estimation, especially given the ancient context that this is being written in. So today, we are often born, grow a bit, go to school, make terrible hair choices, graduate, and then lead, leave our parents' house and start our own journey as a young adult. That's not how things worked in, uh, back then in the ancient world. You would have grandparents, parents, children, grandchildren, all in a household, up until the fourth generation even, all in one house. In fact, we read this in the Ten Commandments. Look, look, here, look. Look back in verse 5 and 6. You will not bow down to them, you will not serve them, foreign gods, because I am Yahweh, your God, a jealous God, punishing the guilt of the parents on the children, on the third and on the fourth generations of those hating me, and showing loyal love to thousands of generations of those loving me and those keeping my commandments. You might read that God punishes to the third and fourth generation as something cruel. Like, he's hurting innocent people for a long time. But... If you understand the ancient household, you can see that all that is being said here is that the whole household of the person who is sinning will be affected. If the one person sins, it's going to affect everyone in their house, all the generations in there. And I mean, we, we know this to be true. If I decide that I don't like to clean up after myself, and then I'm going to start a movement where we don't use garbage cans in our houses, that sin is going to quickly cause a commotion and a stink in my house and others, for all I know. Everyone's going to suffer for my sin. So how much more for the ancient person? The whole family was a close-knit unit. Added to that is the fact that they lived in an honor and shame society. The way you treated your parents, similar to that church from Indonesia that I mentioned, 
It really mattered. This view existed across the whole Mediterranean world. The Greeks said that parents were due honor on par with the gods. They held a high cultural value for respecting and listening to your parents, even when you were an adult. And that's another thing. This law is not just about young children listening to parents. That's not how they would view this. This commandment is given to adults. Does it apply to children? Sure. But that's not the primary lens that they viewed it through. No, if you were an adult who did not have regard for your parents, you would be shamed. The society would look down on you, and you would be considered a lower class and, and of lower value. Some scholars say that honor and shame was almost like a currency, like money, that would be handed out. There was only a certain amount of it in a particular culture and society. And you wanted to get as much as you can get your hands on. So honor and shame, I mean, it's basically the ancient version of canceling someone. You know, today, when a celebrity or someone says something they shouldn't uh, in the big online world or whatever, then everyone piles up against them. They say, no one should listen to them anymore because they don't like frosted flakes or they once took a picture with someone who once talked to someone who is, we think might be bad. Like, shame on them. It, it, it's crazy. Yeah, well, so they did that in the ancient world too. It was just more on a communal and, and local level. And it was especially the case when someone did something bad to their parents. How do I know this? Well, I want to dive quickly into a section of the Bible that you may have never gotten to. Believe it or not, there is a section of the Bible that comes after the Ten Commandments. It is a riveting section of case laws. You've probably seen some of it, the first few verses, but most of us, we say, yep, I got the gist of it, and we skip like the next ten chapters of Exodus. So these laws are actually really important for helping us understand just how culturally bound this commandment is. And I'm really glad that we're turning to these laws now because I did just write a doctoral dissertation on this section of Exodus. So, you know, I've prepped one or two hundred slides. We can, we'll get through before lunch. No. <laughs> just kidding, only about 50. No, no. There are two laws about parents in chapter 21. And I think these laws are often really confusing to us in the modern day and age. They might give us the wrong impression, even leave us baffled in what it means to honor father and mother. So what this next section of laws is doing is in fact giving some concrete examples of what it looks like not to honor your father and mother in that context. Some people think that the case laws in chapter 21 to 23 are actually giving examples of how the Ten Commandments play out in the ancient lives of Israelites. However, and listen, these laws are giving examples of not honoring father and mother in the ancient context and setting, in the honor and shame culture, in a world culturally far removed from ours. These are going to come across as shocking to our ears, so let's hear them. Whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. Okay. So, I think it's safe to say that these both seem a bit harsh or excessive from our 21st century Western perspective, right? There's a ton of cultural things that come along with these laws, that, that, and I think it will help us to understand what's going on culturally. First off, these laws are not talking about young children relating to their parents. This is law code. The law is for adults. This is referring to grown adults 
who abuse their parents. So when you hear whoever strikes, you need to think that we're looking at a, an adult hitting an aging parent. That, in and of itself, is significant. If I punch my mom with full strength, which I would never do, I could kill her. So the law here is covering a significant threat to a parental figure. It is even possible that the law is presupposing that if an adult strikes their aging parent, they intended to kill them. This law is about putting your parent in the way of direct and intentional harm. Let's look at the next one and loop back. 21.17 says that whoever curses father or mother will be put to death. Now that seems wild to us, right? What is this talking about? If I say a swear word to my parent, should I die? If I say, excuse my language, go to hell to a parent, should I die? Again, we have a huge cultural divide here. We don't use the language of cursing. What the idea of cursing is getting at is something like to disavow someone. That is, they are, in a sense, saying, go to hell. But that, that comes along with their public stance before the community saying that their parents are worthy of not being provided for or related to. They've cursed their existence. This, this goes beyond just, just words. How so? Well, do you know what that entails in the ancient world? It means that the children are no longer going to provide for their parents in any way. They're going to leave them to age and die. And there's no such thing as an old age home in the ancient world. There's no welfare. There's no electricity. There's no neighboring province that's going to take them in. The well-being of aging parents is the responsibility of the children. The person who curses his parents is, in a sense, sentencing them to death by starvation or worse. Hitting them puts them in direct um, danger's way, and cursing them puts them in indirect danger's way in the same way. So this law about cursing is dealing with long-term harm to parents and to negligence to provide for the most vulnerable person in a close relationship to the child. Remember, the parents would be in the house with the child. They're gone in this scenario. They're doomed. Another way this verse could be translated is actually the opposite of 2012, Exodus 2012. It literally says, whoever treats his mother or father lightly. So treat them heavily, treat them lightly. That's also, how it just, it, that's also how you would say you would curse someone in Hebrew. The idea is that they become nothing to the child and that the parent will suffer because of it. So if we take into account the cultural aspects related to these laws and we add to that the honor and shame culture and the unspeakably high value that they placed on parents, then we can start to see how they understood honoring parents back then. We can also start to see why the death penalty was considered for these crimes. And I say considered for a reason. So... Back up. Well, I know we are currently deep diving into biblical legislation on a Sunday morning. I want to try to help you have categories for how to think about these often neglected sections of the Bible. They have wisdom for us, but often we need to get the cultural context right. When I say considered the death penalty, I mean that the laws we are reading should not be considered minimum sentencing. You shouldn't think that every single time a parent was struck, then they took the child and they put him to death. Well, that's what the text says, Joel. I hear someone think. You should think more quietly. No, 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 that's not how the ancient law worked. That's not how ancient law worked. When we think about law today, we think, if you do X, you get Y. And then every case that X happens, from that point on, then Y is the punishment. That's not how they thought about law in the ancient world. 
Law was wisdom. Law was guidance. It is possible that the death penalty was considered for striking a parent. It is. But there could be 50 other circumstances around that strike that might be considered which would lead away from the death penalty. The death penalty is supposed to tell you how severe of a crime this is. In God's eyes, for that specific cultural context, it is the utmost example of throwing your entire community into chaos and hating your closest relationship. Again, you're kicking parents out of a house, into nothing, what are they going to do? Someone else needs to take them on, or what if no one does? What if there's no one? Like, there's just so many factors here. This is, this is senten- almost sentencing your parents to death. Now, some of you might not be convinced that the death penalty is not the only punishment they would give for this. So here's, here's one last thing for me to show you so that you can see in the text itself that there are multiple consequences that would be considered for an action, a given crime, and that the law was supposed to be a guide. The death penalty is not absolute. Take a look at this. A few verses later. And if men quarrel and a man strikes his neighbor with a stone or with a fist and he does not die, but he is confined to bed, if he stands up and walks about outside on his staff, the striker will be unpunished. He will only pay for his inactivity toward his full recovery. This law has someone striking his neighbor. The consequence for doing so is that he has to pay for his lost time at work and for medical bills. But compare this to the famous verse just a few verses later. You will give life in place of life, eye in place of eye, tooth in place of tooth, hand in place of hand, foot in place of foot, burn in place of burn, wound in place of wound, bruise in place of bruise. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus quotes that in the Sermon on the Mount, remember? And does something pretty profound with it. But here, which is it? Is he to pay the bills of the guy who struck him? Or does he not get to hit the guy on the head? Does he not get to hit him back? Wound for wound, bruise for bruise. It's a contradiction, right? No. Because the punishments and laws described here are supposed to be worst case examples, and there can be plenty of reasons for dealing with the sin in other ways. Even forgiveness. Like, you could just, you could say, I forgive them. The point is that striking or cursing a parent in that culture was as bad as it gets, given the system that's in, that's was in place. But the punishment was something that was not set in stone. Tablets. Terrible pun. The point was equity. The punishment fits the crime no more, no less. What that looked like might differ from situation to situation. In fact, you don't even see these laws being precisely applied to the letter, like directly applied, in the rest of the biblical narratives. You'll see someone kill someone unjustly in the biblical stories in the Old Testament, but they won't be put to death. That's because they viewed law as wisdom. And someone's specific context was a huge part of how a law would be applied or interpreted. So for us, we don't live in the Near Eastern world circa 1200 BC. The act doesn't mean the same thing to us. Just like eloping doesn't mean the same thing to us. This is where wisdom comes in. Chapter 21 is applying the principle of 2012, honor your father and mother, in a way that was wise for their time. We have to do the hard work of applying it to our time and context. Okay. End of rant on ancient law. That was heavy and academic. But, but we as the church, we need to be able to understand what these texts are getting at. So when people ask us, we can give answers. Sometimes that means straining hard to think about the really intricate issues like these. And on top of that, Paul, in Ephesians 6, actually cites Exodus uh, 20.12 and says that the principle of honoring your father and mother still 
matters. Here's what Paul says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, in order that it may be well with you and you may live a long time on the earth. Fathers, do not make your children angry, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We can already see here how Paul is applying the wisdom of this commandment to a slightly different situation. Paul is describing the various people in a household in his cultural context, and here he is referring to children who are in the process of being raised. So he's not focusing on adult children. The point for Paul is that the heart of the law, what he calls the spirit of the law elsewhere, carries on. You and I, we do need to still honor our parents. It's the heart of the law. Kids need to listen to them, provided they aren't leading them into the sin against their king, Jesus. They have to obey their parents in the Lord, that is, within the confines of their walk with Christ. So kids, teens, those still in the house of your parents, God does want you to listen to your parents. Take it from us adults that a lot of us wish we would have listened to what our parents were saying when we were younger. Paul even says here that it may go well with you. Having positive relationships with your parents do nothing but good in the long run. He adds that you might live long in the land. I can assure you that if you listen to your parents, at the very least, you will live long in the house without paying rent. And notice that Paul relates this commandment to to a parent's relationship with their kids too. It's not just about kids honoring parents, but parents honoring kids through loving guidance. He he, he, um, kind of kaleidoscopes the command and shows how it interconnected and, inter- and the interconnected and interrelatedness of a family. Okay, so now I think we need to loop back to the elephant in the room. What does honoring our adult parents look like in the modern Western world? And this is tough. As we've seen, some commands in the Bible are very culturally specific. Do not murder is easy to translate across cultures. Here's a knife. Don't put it in that person. Easy. Done. But how to treat someone with weight differs from culture to culture. This is all the more the case when some of us have suffered trauma, abuse, emotional, physical from those we called parents. I think wisdom is essential here. There are some relationships where it might not be wise to interact with each other. Sometimes modern law would even bar this. In some cases, treating your parent with weight might simply be a matter of the heart trying to find forgiveness and wishing that they could find God. You treat them with weight in that you know how much baggage, weight, their actions have placed on your life. You carry the weight of what what they should have deserved if they had done differently. But for most of us, there's there's a mix here, right? Our parents failed and succeeded. They loved us. They were selfish. They were wise and fools. We have hurts and traumas but we do want them in our lives. I think this commandment is meant to guide those of us in this situation. For me, um, I know I've really struggled to maintain a solid relationship with my parents. I think we've had a lot of distance, especially in the past. Part of that distancing was somewhat unconsciously my own way of getting away from them so I wouldn't get hurt. And that's not to say in any way that they were abusive, but it's more of a way for me to shelter myself. This commandment is a call to search myself and to see if I'm giving my parents a fair shake of things. Am I appreciating them for who they are and the life they spent raising me? Am I giving them the weight they deserve? And I mean, this is how Jesus would approach this command, isn't it? What does he do on the Sermon on the Mount? He cites the Ten Commandments. He actually says, do not murder, 
But then he makes it about what? He says that the anger in your heart is the actual problem. The law is meant to point to the attitudes of our heart. Here's what I mean. You could take, you could, you could, you could obey everything your parents say. You could buy your dad a Ferrari and your mom a mansion on the lake. You could phone them every single night and tell your mom about how gracefully beautiful she's getting with age. And you could still be breaking this commandment. Why? You could be bitter in your heart. You could hate doing this stuff. You could be afraid of them. And then just letting that fear control you. That's not the heart of the law. The heart of the law is you, right here and now, sitting in Sardis Fellowship or online, and asking deep within yourself, do I give the right weight to my relationship with my parents? Do I properly care about them? Is there something in me receding back? I think this goes deeper than we often think. There's a reason God made a command about parents. Whether we like it or not, our relationships with our parents affect us. You could argue that it's biologically ingrained in us. I don't know if you've ever heard sociologists or those who study family relationships talk about this stuff, but the conflict that is experienced in a family has direct and long-term effects on mental health, on physical health, and overall well-being. Our relationships with our parents affect us holistically. And some of you know this all too well. Christmas time, summertime might come around, and as soon as you pull into a parent's driveway, you might start to feel off. You feel physically different. You might get pain. You might check out mentally. These are all indicators of the gravity and invisible force behind these relationships. Part of honoring father and mother is understanding just the plain and simple weight behind this relationship. This stuff is in every sense of the word, kavad, heavy. So, are you giving your parental relationship the weight it deserves? This is a really hard question. It's going to differ from person to person, from culture to culture. What I do know is this, that God attaches a promise to those who, in their own way, seek to honor their parents. He promises life, law for life, right? There's a principle at work here. Life goes better when we at least take conscious steps towards honoring our parents, however that might look. So something happened to me recently. Uh, I know, I've known about this sermon for a while. Uh, We planned that I would preach on this verse. So the subject of honoring father and mother has been on my heart. Uh, On top of that, for a long while, I've I've felt in my heart that I really need to appreciate and... um, maybe give more to my parents and especially my grandparents uh, because my, my grandmother's aging. Uh, I, I honestly never really visit her, like ever. And like it was really bothering me. Um, that I need to just, I have to put more into this relationship. Uh, she comes to events, but I just don't take time to, to ever go see her. Um, it's not okay. So I, 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 want, I wanted to uh, have my kids see her. So I took my kids just a, a few weeks ago uh, and I said, you know what, I want to, want to I want to engage this 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 commandment and I want to honor my grandmother so I surprised my grandmother with a visit and I showed up with the kids and I said hey we're here just want to come and say hi and she was happy to have us in and I went in and she we're, we're sitting down kids are, she gets some coloring books for the kids we talk a bit and she said you know I'm really glad you came I wasn't feeling great this morning I said oh what's going on she said well 
um, you know, I've been having these uh, like breathing issues this morning. And I said, okay, well, let's monitor it. And she said, yeah, it was really good that you're here. And then as we kind of talked and chatted over about an hour, it, she's progressively getting worse. And um, we both started talking and saying, do we need to call 911? And she said, yeah, I think we do. And so I said, okay, let's do it. So we call 911 and she gets put on hold. And, I go, and she's like, I'm just I'm not doing well at all. I'm getting worse and worse here. And I said, okay, well, let me phone April. So my wife is April, and she's a nurse, and she's at the hospital. And I said, hey, my grandma is saying, like, we phone 911. She's saying she's getting worse here. Do we phone back? Like, do we force this to happen? And she said, yes. And I'm like, okay, well, all right, so we've come to a the decision then. So I, t I say, hey, we need to phone them back. Like, we need to get you to the hospital now. And so just as we're about to phone again, uh, the operator picks up and goes, okay, we're going to get an ambulance to you. I say, okay. And so we get her stuff ready, and the ambulance comes, and she's still not feeling well, and she's just really happy that I'm there and that we could do this together. And they come in, they grab her, they bring her to the hospital, and then that's, that's the end of that. So I go home with the kids, and uh, uh, it's a few hours later, and we're just kind of, I'm trying to get updates. My mom had gone to the hospital, and I get a phone call from my cousin who was there. And he said, uh, you're, uh, the doctor came in with a nurse, and the doctor just said this to me. He said, whoever was with Jesse, my grandma, um, and said to phone 911 saved her life because she would have probably been dead very shortly after. And that, that floored me. I stopped. I was walking with my kids, and I can't believe it. Um, that, that could have been the end of grandma if uh, I didn't show up that day and I didn't have that conversation that we should go to the hospital, that you should phone 911. And I realized that um, as I was prepping the sermon that isn't that an example of that it will go well with you in the land, that, you, that days might be long, not just with me, but with everyone, if I honor my parents. Like, what a, what a profound example. I take the f one step, one little step, into honoring, sorry, I pulled a muscle on my neck this morning, uh, into honoring my, uh, my parents, and life was brought. Law for life. Life came. And so I think that was the principle at work, and, what a, and I'm just thankful. And, I mean, what else? I wonder what stories I could hear from you in the coming months if you did some time reflecting on this commandment and putting those reflections into practice. In what ways would it go well in our land of Chilliwack? In what ways would this law bring life to you? So let's pray and ask God to show us. So Father, God, help us see the wisdom in the law, in this law. Help us to find a path forward in honoring our parents as you would have us honor them for our context and our lives. God, give us wisdom, not guilt. Give us insight, not fear. Give us hope and not despair as we approach a difficult subject. And um, God, may your spirit guide us in this. May you bring life in the coming weeks. May you help us be good kids, children, and good parents, and uh, help us to understand the weight of the relationships around us. 
and the actions that we take and how important they are, how they have effects for years, and uh, help us to live as a community that brings peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.